All right. Well, hello, I'm here with Doug. It is uh, Friday, March 1st, 2024, and we're going to talk about AI slop and other things, but uh, we'll start with Doug. What have you got, Oh, Doug? Sam, do I have a great announcement for everybody? Apple's ready to release iPads. Rumor has it they're coming out in March. Have you heard anything? No, but I mean, I haven't followed them. Last thing I knew, they came out with these huge ones that are about 14 or 15 inches across that yep. I see people drawing things on. What's special about the new one? I don't know. Oh, they don't tell. <laughs> oh, it's that nonsense where it's just going to be the rumors and stuff. It's the rumor mill is out there. I will tell you, I've had an iPad for a lot of years. I'm a Windows person. Um, I do a little bit of Mac, but the two computers I use daily on a regular basis are Windows desktop when sometimes laptop and an iPad with a keyboard. And I did try the new Apple that's out, that big one that you're talking about, with Apple's three $400 keyboard. Boy, what a ripoff that was. And I'll tell you, my complaint was it was too heavy. I liked the size. It was too heavy. And then when you add the keyboard, it gets even heavier. And now it's the weight of a laptop, if not yeah. more. Yeah. When I saw people using it, my first thought is when you drop that, it'll break. Yeah. And Apple's keyboard is a magnetic attach. So there's no hard shell case that goes around it. Yeah. So all it has to do is just slip off that magnetic you know, um, attachment to the keyboard, which offers a little bit of cushioning. But boy, if it hits on a corner, that screen's gone. I remember years ago, I saw iPads for kids and they had this protector that consisted of four tennis balls in the corners with like a big budgie <laughs> cord. And they said that really works. You can totally drop it and it won't break. Yeah, I, I could believe that, right? Because it's not going to hit the screen flat down, right? Right, right. it's, it, it's bouncing yeah. corner shit. Yeah, I, I would buy the auto bar, otter boxes or the otter box ripoffs um, for the iPhone as well as the iPad. But the problem with the iPad is I can't use the iPad without a, a real keyboard. Yeah. And I don't like the folio or the detached ones because the iPad just kind of flops out. I like it where it turns it the iPad essentially into a laptop. It's got a hard shell around it. Plus, you can prop it down. I don't understand how you can use a laptop, uh, an iPad. You want it tilted at an angle. You don't want it laying flat on a desk or a tabletop. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, I'm happy that's with, me. Uh, with an old-fashioned laptop, uh, like the Mac M1. That's good. But Yeah. The, the other thing with the new iPads is Apple finally went to USB-C. So now what happens is... Uh, and there's no there's no uh, headphone jack. So here you got to go if you want a headphone or if you want to plug in, you got to get an adapter to plug into the USB-C port that does charging and gives you a headphone jack. The one I bought for, I think, Anchor would fall out, so that didn't work. I bought another one. It wouldn't charge, but the cable would attach. So, you know, it's just I, I'm hoping – that Apple's got this figured out. Well, you Hope know, the, like 10 years yeah. ago, I used to have a whole bunch of dongles. And I remember there was a podcast where the, the, the Apple, oh. the guy said, you have to carry a man purse of, of uh, dongles. <laughs> and now that's not so true anymore. I think I only have like two or three, I have like uh, two or three plug-in things I need to carry around now. It's gotten well, less than a mess. 
Yeah, it's it's less of a mess, and you don't have the USB. You don't have the war between micro USB and the mini USB, and the right. So I like all that. But now USB C, that port, is also the same as Thunderbolt. So they're now Thunderbolt cables that are active. Yeah. And there's Thunderbolt 3, Thunderbolt 4, there's USB C, and yeah. all the physical connectors are the same, but the cables and the ports are different. That which is insane. This is about yeah. this up. I actually bought several replacement chargers because my thing wouldn't charge because I was not using the right cable. And so I, I really I can't believe they haven't at least color coded them like they do with fiber optics. I mean, if you're right. going to have cables that, with the same plug and you can't tell, there ought to be like a label or a number on it or something. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, yeah, and I've had, uh, and you, you know, you also have active cables, which get powered and you get passive cables, which are shorter. And I think Apple's Thunderbolt cable, the active one, is $125, which just sounds crazy to everybody. Yeah. But, you know, that's what they're doing. Anyway, yeah, we'll see. And uh, as much as uh, I, I'm brand agnostic, I do like the iPad. It serves my function well. So we'll see what they're coming up with. Well, that was the whole point of uh, the free market. We're supposed to have a bunch of different options. Yeah, until Steve Jobs told us that they know what we want. Well, wasn't that his famous line? Well, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they could. No, have. customers don't. Yeah. Well, and he was right. Like people said, "What you're going to carry around a laptop in your pocket and poke around on and look at this little tiny screen? Nobody wants that." And he said, "They don't know how great it would be." And he was right. True. True. All right. What story you got for us today? What's well, your first one? Uh, there's one here with a thousand, hundred thousand infected repos on GitHub, which I didn't know. I've heard about an NPM package manager, but apparently GitHub, they write scripts that automatically fork an existing repo a vast number of times, changing it in small ways, hoping people will make typos when they download stuff. And they have um, automated scripts doing, running, creating these, and GitHub has automated scripts removing them, and they keep making them so fast that some of them stay up for a while. So it seems to me very much like an email spam. They create vast quantities of these things, and some of them get through, and every developer that uses it, it puts malware in your code. So uh, it's interesting. So, yeah. so what, what it's doing is it's taking legitimate code it yeah. forks it, adds malware into it. Yep. They do the the typical URL typo kind of mistake. Somebody right. quickly goes, oh, that looks like the right one. Oh, and it's got a newer date, so it's got to have some additional functionality. Let's download that one. Or just so, to make a typo when typing in, like, yeah. add it. And, oh, okay, okay. And, and I think um, this actually is the beginning, kind of, of what we've predicted for a long time is AI... Um, attacks you know yeah AI yeah. defenses they've got scripts on the defense that can't keep up with it and so he says it's hard to write the article because these things flash up and then they're gone and it's hard to like catch them yeah yeah gotcha but anyway gotcha. it's a big deal apparently it's not a huge portion of github github is so huge that a hundred thousand is not too many but it is a form of attack to be aware of <laughs> okay yeah. all right all right so i've got another kind of Tech story here, Tesla, it's been around for, I guess, about 15 years, 
And Tesla is known for their, or at least in, in my circles, it's known for their EV supercharging network. Right. And uh, they, they finally announced, it was rumored last year, that they're going to open this up to non-Tesla cars. I think and, Elon Musk was kind of forced to do that by antitrust lawsuits or something. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, let me get into that. Anyway, it was announced. Um, it's been announced, announced, announced that it's coming, coming, coming. And finally, it's here. So March 1st, today, oh. supposedly some, not all, but eventually all, Tesla supercharging networks will be open to the public. And you, need, you need an adapter. adapter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, de- you need an adapter for most cars, but Tesla's adapter is going to run out in the end anyway, which is something that Elon offered, I think, five years ago with patent. I'm not sure what the, it, it was available to everyone. And the car company said, no, there was some, like he opened up the patent, made it available for free. But I think there were some limitations on the, the tech or something along those lines. Interestingly enough, um, in Europe, you know, in the U.S., we have um, single phase. In Europe, they have three phase. Yeah. And and it's highly unusual to have three phase. Well, well, it's typical for three phase to go to large businesses in the U.S. It's I, I don't think it's possible to get three phase to a home. Oh, I think washing um, machines and stuff run on. on in, the, in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. They're single phase. No, because you have to have multiple wires come into your house. However, three-phase in Europe is very common. Right. And three-phase, the the problem there is when you go to charge a car, you need to have a three-phase charger. And so you need additional pins, high voltage or high current, high voltage pins on 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 the car. So if you take a car from EV car from Europe, bring it to the U.S., you're not going to be able to charge it. Likewise, you take a car from the U.S., you go to Europe, you're not going to be able to charge it unless you get an adapter. And I'm sure there are ways you could do it. It would be hard to bring an EV car from Europe, bring it over here to go from single phase to three phase. It can be done. Mm-hmm. But to go from single phase or three phase in Europe to single phase is a little bit easier. The electronics that right. are involved. Yeah. I had to adapt. So they do is only connect two of the pins. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know if you could do that. I don't know enough about the electronics that are That's involved. Do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Tesla again is opening up supercharger network and I got to tell you, um, you were asking about the the lawsuit. It wasn't Tesla, to my knowledge, that was supposed to build all this charging network in America. It goes back to Dieselgate and VW. And VW created a company called EA, or Electrify America, that was supposed to install chargers throughout America. It was a billion dollars that... Uh, Volkswagen, they were fined. I believe they were fined two billion. Out of the two billion, one of the one billion was to go to Electrify America and put out these EA charging stations, and they did. And the problem that you have is when you go up to an EA charging station, and there are other manufacturers out there, that you usually find that 
two or three out of maybe five or eight of the chargers are down. They're broken or they're running at suboptimal performance. So they could charge at 300 kilowatts, but for some reason the electronics aren't functioning quite right and they're charging at 50 kilowatts. So it, it, that increases charge time and all it does, it makes everybody mad. There's EA, Electrify America, and oh, and the other is if you report the charger to Electrify America, to EA slash Volkswagen, they're supposed to come out and repair it, but it can be months, six months before they come out and repair it. Now, you take a look at Tesla, and again, we're in California, but holy cow, you drive from here to L.A., you get to Harris Ranch, which is about the first time when most people make a pit stop. They get gas, go to the bathroom, get a you know meal, things like that. That's also around Kettleman City. That's sort of about halfway. If you go to Harris Ranch, you find eight EA chargers. You take a look to your left, and there are a hundred Tesla superchargers. Yeah. You go thirty miles down the freeway, give or take. You go to Kettleman City. They've got Tesla chargers everywhere. They've got a little place where you can go in and kind of like an airport lounge. You get free Wi-Fi. There's a bathroom that you can use while you're charging. But again, they have 50. They have 100 chargers. You go to Santa Nella. They've got Tesla chargers. So the ratio of Tesla chargers compared to EA and there's Blink and there's several EVgo. There's several others. It's, it's just the ratio is so out of whack. So it's, it's a good thing, I guess, is where I'm coming. Yeah, sounds like it. I know. But. I, yeah, the U.S. government was supposed to roll out a bunch of chargers, but it sounds like they missed the boat. It's already been done by Elon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Elon has really done, and this is not to say it's everywhere in the U.S., but he's done a phenomenal job. I rarely hear of somebody who has a Tesla that says, oh, the charger is down and I can't charge. And there's so many of them. You just go to another charger. They're, they're you know, so close by. Whereas I've got an EV, right? I've got an electric vehicle. I've been at places where people are standing in line waiting for the non-Tesla chargers to open up. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. I think this is a good thing, but this means that Elon is in charge or Tesla right. is in charge of the charge network. Yeah. So tell me, Sam, is this going back well over a hundred years to standard oil? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> uh, we've, uh, we've watched over the last several decades as the government has ended monopoly enforcement and just encouraged everyone to agglomerate into one giant company controlling things in America. Yeah. And now yeah. I think the FTC is beginning to get back in the business of breaking up monopolies. So yeah. we sort of yeah. go back and forth. Yeah. So, you know, there are others like Shell has gotten into the business and at their gas stations, they'll add a couple EV charging, uh, charging stalls. But what's interesting is I, the two Shell stations I've been to, they've been broken. So here you see it on a map. Ooh, I've got an EV charging spot. I'm going to pull in there and there's no status to know they're out of order. Well, you know, I read a lot of articles saying that uh, the people are cutting back their EV production and they're not really making enough profit and the repairs are worse than they thought. So I think other people have not been successful at making it a profitable business compared to Elon. 
True, but this is charging. This is like the gas station. But I know, right? but, it's, but apparently even that is not as much of a uh, profit center as they expected, which is why it's getting run down like this. Yeah, yeah. So the the rumors, it's funny. If you look at Ford, Ford is has put in, I think, half a billion dollars and they got money from the government to build a new battery plant for cars. Yeah. And then they said production is down. We're going to uh, discontinue or, or dramatically decrease yeah. The number of Ford E Mustangs, E Mustangs, or whatever the electric Mustang, and the Ford F one fifty truck. Then they announce a couple weeks later, production is up, demand is there. We're going to increase volume. And then last I heard last week is production is down. They're thinking of discontinuing. And what's interesting is on these trucks and these electric vehicles, the dealers were charging a ten ten thousand to $20,000 premium for vehicle. So whatever MSRP was, the first thing they would do is add 10K to 20K wow. is, a, is a dealer premium. So that- That must be high. I mean, you know, limited product, it's completely legal for them. I don't, oh, sure. You can charge yeah, up the market will bear. I'm just surprised the market will bear that. And, and people were paying it. So now the tables have turned and they're offering $10,000 discounts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I will tell you the Ford F-150 truck looks pretty decent. Oh, um, yeah. I heard Rachel you know, Mando the, talk about them a few years ago and she said they're fantastic. The electric truck. Yeah. The, so the, the Ford F-150 from Ford really yeah. is, is um, it, it, stands up to Ford's quality in terms of, you know, the size and the capacity for a work truck. Yeah. The only problem is they don't have the software yet. Ford's still struggling with the charging, with the software, you know, the, the, the infotainment system. So, you know, it, they're a, they're a car company that's trying to be a technology company. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So what do you got for us? So well, good news for, for EVs, right? It is. And I, I'm not sure if this is good news or bad news, but Joe Biden has declared that Chinese electric vehicles are a security threat. And we shouldn't really have them because this goes along with all the China is going to spy on us and hack us and they're going to know everything like kipping out Huawei and stuff. So they also the Chinese electric vehicles would be cheaper and disrupt the market. So blocking them there is opposed on those grounds, too. But um, this and there's I've been reading a lot of articles about China supposedly hacking everything and trying to make us very, very hostile towards China. Um, but, you know, the Christopher Ray said that the Chinese hacking is unprecedented in history, the amount of hacking us. And there was a leak of documents to back this up, which is from a military contractor in China reporting their ability to hack everybody, including a lot of the United States. But when you look at it in detail, they seem to be just using standard, ordinary hacking techniques, nothing very exotic. But um, it's it does seem to be undeniable that the cyber attacks from China are really getting out of hand. They're in our power grid, they're in our water plants, they're everywhere. And uh, I've been hearing about this, you know, for the last 15 years, an ever-increasing anger yeah. in the security community of how China is hacking everything. And uh, now we don't even want to use China, China developed equipment because it's all spying on us. And there is some truth in that. 
I just, I'm not sure what they're going to do with that information that you're so afraid of. Turning off the power plant is a problem, but what is it they're going to do? They'll know where you drove in your car. And then I guess what, they're well, going to blackmail you or something? Target yeah, so, so Sam, I, I got one for you. The Chinese, um, and I'm not saying this is the government, mm -hmm. but the Chinese went after the American furniture industry. So that's predominantly on the East Coast. And a lot of these furniture manufacturers have been around for 150, 200 years. And what they did was, what was found was um, the Chinese had infiltrated into their system. They copied blueprints for the furniture. They copied blueprints for the plants where they make the furniture. And it was found that they all of a sudden in the American market that you had knockoffs of the furniture selling for 10% of the cost. Oh, now, yeah. what and what they did was they investigated this. They went to China and they found out that the, the equipment, the processes, it was all exactly the same. They used the blueprints, not only for the furniture to build it, but also for the plant layout and how the production would go through you know, the assembly or where the assembly line or the workers where the spray booze and the saws and, you know, assembly, how all that was put together. It was an exact copy or, or very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And as a result, the furniture companies on the East coast, they can't compete. And so a lot of them have gone out of business. I don't have any numbers. Again, this was a story that I researched about 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, you know, that's, that's one area and Chinese labor is less expensive and they're also using inferior part or wood is what I would say, or, or I shouldn't say inferior, but the quality isn't, no, is nowhere as good as what was being made in the U S. So we'll end up with protectionism and tariffs just like under Trump. Yeah, probably so yeah. much for the free market. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem you run into. I will tell you about five years ago, I watched a um, video about Ikea and you know, Ikea, the big uh, furniture manufacturer. Swedish, I think. Yeah. Is, is it? Yeah, I think so. And what's interesting is where do they get all their wood from? And that's what the documentary was. And it turns out they're going into countries like Bulgaria and they're doing clear cutting. Ikea is not, but they're contracting with with companies in Bulgaria and some of those countries where they have old growth forest. And that's the wood that they're cutting down. They're shipping it to wherever they manufacture or cut up the wood and yeah. use it for IKEA products. And sadly, you know, this is this is old growth wood that should be making this really beautiful wood of wooden products, right? Furniture that. America is known for, or Europe is known for, and they're making cheap I IKEA products out of it, which is kind of sad. Yeah, All but right. you know, consumers demand, and and um, and I, I, you know, interestingly, that story has never gotten anywhere or, or never been picked up that I've seen that I'm aware of by Greenpeace or anyone else to preserve the forest. So, yeah, for what it's worth. Well, you've got the apple <laughs> card, eh? I'm sorry. Yeah, the Apple car. So we're on EVs, right? Yeah. So Apple just canceled its autonomous electric car project. 
And it's announced that it's laying off some workers and it's focused on AI because AI is going to solve everything. Well, this may be a wise move. I think EVs aren't the profit center they used to be and AI is certainly the hot new thing. I've been hearing about this Apple car for like five years. Everybody said, boy, it'll really be great. But apparently it's not happening. Yeah, you know, you got to, as much as people like and hate Elon, you really got to hand it to him. He's really disrupted the car industry. Yeah, like you say, it's incredible how much he's like Henry Ford. If he would just make the cars and (laughs) shut up, everybody would love him. The cars are amazing. Yeah. Just stop everything else about him and just do the cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. This is just sort of a side note, but if you think back over the past 30 years, you know, Bill Gates was the target, right? People hated Bill Gates. Now Bill has kind of faded away and Elon is the new Bill Gates is what I'm kind of getting at here. Yeah, the captains of industry. Yeah, you got to hate them, right? (laughs) Well, they always have hateable hateable things they do, like like underpay the workers or exploit people in various ways, you know, they, they do some damage in along with creating something. But yeah. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, this is Apple's uh, autonomous EV car. So this is self-driving. And I think all those stories that we heard five, eight years ago about self-driving cars and trucks taking over, we're nowhere closer to that. It, it, it's still another five, perpetually five years off. I just heard an interview with uh, Pete Buttigieg talking about how as the transportation secretary, he had to make an official comment about some guy that put on the Apple headset and then drove off drove his Tesla that way <laughs> and said, there is no car you can buy that is safe to operate without a human keeping your eyes on the road. Knock it off. <laughs> you know, I, I will tell you, for cars, self-driving doesn't make sense. However, if we move to a different transportation method, meaning jets, airliners, the um, the computer controls in those are so much more complex and they're actually saving lives. And I just listened to a story where there was a, a pilot flying an Airbus and um, there's kind of a little bit to the story here. But they were flying. It was a long, long haul flight going from, I don't know, America to Europe doesn't really matter. The pilot took out a camera, started taking some photographs. And as he was, he had something to do and he took his camera. He set it down. Now, the Airbus has a joystick. It doesn't have a yoke like the Boeing and traditional planes have. They have a joystick that you have. So he set the camera down and he adjusted his seat and the camera was wedged between the armrest and the joystick and it pushed it forward just a little bit, which nudged the plane into a slight dive. And when he tried to pull back on the joystick to level out, he couldn't do it. And he thought, what the heck is going on? It's on autopilot. I don't understand. The next thing he knows is he he kind of readjusts the seat again to get a little bit more comfortable. The joystick now goes forward and the plane does a complete nosedive. And now it's heading towards the ground from 40,000 feet. And they're diving at a pretty steep uh, decline. Again, this is passenger and 
mid-flight, so over the Atlantic, people don't have their seatbelts fastened. The plane went to negative two Gs so that the flight attendants were now stuck to the ceiling, if you will, of the plane. The co-pilot was not seatbelted in either, and he was up on top. He happened to be in the drink area or whatever the the you know yeah. bathroom area. He's now climbing across the top of the, the ceiling of the plane, if you will, to get back in. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. He also has a joystick. The two of them are kind of fighting with the joysticks, but the camera is still wedged in there. Luckily, Airbus's software took a look at the inputs, realized that you can't go to a 90 degree straight down to the ground. The computers took over. It reduced the power to a safe level so you're not you're not accelerating as you're flying towards the ground. Mm-hmm. It reduced it so that it, it they were able to recover. And after about 30 seconds, they were able to get control of the plane again. They brought it back in for a landing, emergency landing. And the pilot said, you know, I don't understand the software. It was all blamed on the software. They'd spent time. They did the analysis. They looked at the the, the plane. They looked at the software. They looked at the, the records, the black box records, the cockpit. And what they were able to hear real subtly in the cockpit recorder was the motor for the seat. And they also saw there was a camera in there. And they noticed that there was a little scratch on the camera. If they took the camera, put it onto the the armrest, wedged it in there, it reproduced and they created the same thing. You know, that that little mark on there. So no software, no problems. All these Airbuses were grounded because of what this pilot had done. And, you know, the the pilot was not supposed to have a camera in there. The Mm -hmm. cockpit is supposed to be somewhat sterile. Anyway, he got fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we learned the lesson out of this. Again, it goes back to keeping us um, keep you know doing what you should be doing, following the rules in a cockpit. The the reasons for that, and I'll bring up one other story that's a really interesting one. This was firefighters, and they were um, picking up water. This was a helicopter doing water drops. And so what they would do is they have a big bucket that goes on the bottom of the helicopter. They yeah. hover over like a lake or a swimming pool, the ocean. They fill up the bucket and they fly over. So there's there's one helicopter that's filling up, as I recall. There's a se- second helicopter that's coming in close. You see the helicopter coming in um, under full control. And then all of a sudden you see the helicopter start whipping around you know, going around in a circle, like mm-hmm. a pinwheel. And I believe it hit the other helicopter. The other helicopter, they were so close to the ground, it was okay. The other two, um, they perished in the accident. They go in, they take a look, and they're trying to figure out what happened. And they have no idea, but they did find an iPad. And on the iPad, they found it was bent. And they started trying to figure out why this happened, but then they realized the helicopter was spinning. They took the iPad, they put it down into where the foot pedals are, which control ter- the turn radius. Yeah. And they realized that the, the, it sure looks, or the, the markings on the iPad 
match if you wedge it in between the two pedals. And it's clear what happened is they were probably coming in. They used the iPad for navigation. It slipped out of their hands, slid down between the pedals because the pilot and co-pilot were wearing helmets. And it's so cramped in there, they couldn't bend down to pick it up in the short amount of time for the level above the ground that they were. Yeah. And there was no way for them to, uh, to, to get the iPad out of the foot pedals. And so it wedged in there. They, they did a slight adjustment to, to bring it in for a landing or for a water pickup. And then the iPad slipped out, wedged in there. They tried to push the other way because maybe some wind and it got wedged in there and that was it. So, you know, we have these rules, right? Policies and rules, yeah. right? And this is just another example where there's a reason for them. You don't always know, but there, there's a life and death reason sometimes. Yeah. You got another one for us. Yeah. Well, so what Google, do you got? Google, yes. if a lot of newspapers are failing, you know, because you can't get, get any money, but now they can get money from Google. Google will pay them a five-figure amount to publish three AI-generated articles a day you get from Google and then report how many people read them. So Google is trying to refine AI generated news. And this is sort of their beta test program. So, uh, and mm. the thing that caught my attention here, they said, you know, it's now 57% of the web is now AI generated crap. What? Yeah. So I say now the new AI models that connect to the real internet are getting poisoned by the garbage they find on there. So run this by me again. AI or Google is paying to have articles. Yeah, Google, small newspapers. Google is paying for them to put on their website AI-generated articles so you can see how well they do. I see. AI-generated news. But the problem is the previous generation of AI creates garbage, and most of the web is now that garbage. And so the the articles are are – are fact-checked, I mean, they're legitimate articles? Probably not, no. The whole point is they're generated by AI. And in the previous generation of AI was terrible. In fact, that's the other article I have here. You know, CNET used to be considered a legitimate source, but it was bought by a a financial company, read something a few years ago, and they decided to cheapen the product, and they started putting AI-generated articles that were not verified, that were full of lies, and it was a huge scandal. And they eventually stopped doing it, but they continue to say that it's totally their plan is to replace everything with AI to make money. So Wikipedia has now said they're no longer considered a reliable source. They were until about two or three years ago. Now they're not because we don't trust them not to have AI-generated garbage instead of real and, articles. So they don't. Who is who is this? CNET. Oh, uh, CNET. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be a legitimate okay. product review site, and now it's been totally cheapened. So you know, it's uh, this is the problem with ai it's being used to mass produce stuff that isn't much good and the bad stuff is flooding out the good stuff yeah yeah well you know as we know newspapers radio tv it's very competitive and um it was all ad driven that's the model that we had except for for uh, public radio public tv Yep. And the money just isn't there. And we right. talked about this with podcasts, the money isn't there. So a few at the very top, right? Nobody yeah. Yeah. Podcasting. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like Hollywood stars, right? Or musicians, you either make it big or you don't make it at all. Yes. However, there's this um, 
However, I don't think in music we have this yet, this flood of AI-generated junk, although AI-generated music is coming. But, I mean, that's one way to make money, is to make a yeah. really rotten product and make it really cheap. Well, if it's cheap and you sell it for a high profit, that's good. That's right. right. Like junk bonds. In, in capitalism, right? That's right. <laughs> so it's the future. Yeah. And you hey, got so. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I got before I get this story, I'll give you one other one. Um, I wasn't aware of this, but in the Bay Area, we've had some storms recently. People are trying to contact Comcast or AT&T, either one. Yeah. They're saying, hey, you know, we're our service is down. When is it going to be restored? I've got to do work. I'm working from home. And there's no way to reach anybody at Comcast. It's all gone to oh. um I, at least this is what's being reported. Yeah. I don't know. I've not tested it. But what people are reporting is th they call up Comcast. It's all recordings. Well, I think I have Comcast and my stuff yeah. did go out and they sent me text messages that kept me well informed about the progress. So I didn't have to call them, but uh, some automated system informed me and it seemed to be good enough. Yeah, so what people are reporting is, oh, you have an outage in your area, we'll get it fixed within four hours. And then in four hours, oh, the outage, we'll get it fixed in eight hours. Well, and then it, did it goes. That. It did that. It told me like, oh, it it hours, then it kept okay. sending me another message, oh, no, it's going to be longer. No, it's going to be longer. So, I mean, that happened, but at least I was informed. Yeah, yeah. And well, there's being... how bad the storm was. <laughs> I really didn't blame them. I mean, first they thought it was yeah. just one tree down, then it was five trees, then it's. They kept getting worse. I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, I'm not blaming Comcast or AT&T. Both of them. My point is they both gone into this automated mode where you can't speak to people. Well, yeah, but that's understandable for cost, especially when you yeah. get a flood of complaints all asking the same question. It ought to just be an automated answer. Yeah. So here, Sam, here's my next story. This is out of Canada. And I'm wondering if you've heard of this. A student on a campus, again in Canada, walks up to a vending machine and it says on the little display, they were trying to buy M&Ms, some candy, and they go up to the machine and they look on the screen and it says face recognition error, software error. Right. I saw Do you know this story? You saw, saw it. it. Okay. Yeah. And so the student is like, what the heck is going on here? So M&Ms or the manufacturer of the vending machine hasn't provided really a lot of information. But it is, sounds like, uh, and what they've done is they've removed the vending machines, unless you know otherwise. So they, they pulled them out. So it sounds like it was a test market. And the question is, why does a vending machine need face recognition software? And now this is where you and I can go from the facts into the hypotheticals of asking why they're doing this or talking about why they're doing it. So I want to make sure that yeah, well, we don't know for certain we're guessing, speculating like everyone else. So what are your thoughts? Well, the first thing, I think Whole Foods did this. You could buy with face recognition, use it instead of a credit card, I think, or Palm. Maybe it was your Palm recognition. Okay. In the last year. So, I mean, that would be one option. Yeah. Yeah. Another one would be to detect people who vandalized the machine. <laughs> but it's not, I, I don't think, so if you come from the side, I mean, there, there'd there be ways to, to defeat it. Oh, there but, would. but why, yeah, but if it's people vandalizing the machine, why would the machine not function? And why would it display an error message? 
saying that face recognition module software didn't load. Well, you know, obviously that that module failed, an error message came up. The question is, why was that module there anyway? Yeah, and I would think so, some pro, uh, some uh, prototype of something that's not really implemented yet. Yeah, so you know, here are some thoughts. Right, we got to think on the other side. Is think of a marketing point of view. Yeah. Is you can know if males, females, oh. right, sex of people buying the product. Oh yeah, which product they buy. You could also determine race. You could determine a lot of other things. Well, yeah, you now, could probably optimize your product. Like you could find out who keeps buying this one thing. Yeah. Should be putting more of them or not. Yeah. So it could be used legitimately for marketing. And I should also point out that M&M's has said, or vending machine company, I'm not sure if it's one in the same, but they clearly said, we're not collecting and retaining the data. So we don't know that for sure, but that's what they're saying. Well, it would be expensive to retain it. You know, I think you're probably right. It's going to be demographic information, just like these loyalty cards. Everybody wants to yeah. use a loyalty card. So obviously that data is valuable. And the obvious thing is that um, you could stock items more efficiently. So you don't fill your shelf with things that just sit there. You put the right things on there that are actually moving. Yeah, and you could test market products, right? You could come yeah. up with... I don't know, M&M pretzels or something. I think they've done that. Right. right. And you could see how well they sell, but or you could see who's buying it, males, females, you know, younger, older, you could, yeah, so. Until you're advertising, this is essentially what Amazon invented. This is the whole yeah. DevOps, where you, you have a living thing that is constantly measuring how successful it is and constantly adapting to make it more successful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good idea, really, if it, done, if it works correctly. Yeah. So in this age of privacy, I think people are more outraged um, by it. And the question I have is, would you, if you were told that your face is being recorded or analyzed, would that prevent you from buying product? I'm sure it wouldn't but, prevent me because I, I accepted Google knowing everything about me years ago. I said, well, yeah. I just accept this as the price of getting all this good service. Yeah. So I think if it's done in secret, people are more skeptical about it. And, you know, I would kind of prefer they had a warning label up for that than the warning label you see everywhere telling you that it's got cookies or cancer causing chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think people, but, but again, you know, there's no oversight. There's no confirmation that that's really what's going on. And right, and I guess a lawsuit <clears throat> couldn't sue if they for false advertising. I think that would be a class action lawsuit that would be very difficult to prove in court. And I don't know what the award would be. And the company already has the data. But I, I kind of think if companies were more honest and upfront that we're looking at your face so we can, for marketing purposes. You know, something like that. If you don't want to buy, don't buy. But the other issue you have is I think if people walk by the machine, it could also record whose face it is. Yep. Right. Years ago, they said that when Bluetooth came out, we would all have these instant specials where you walk by a store and it yeah. pops up like in that Tom Cruise movie saying, I recognize you, Joe. You were in here last month to buy this book and now we have the next one or something, but that didn't seem to happen. All that ultra personalized stuff. And I don't know. 
you know, I guess you would buy more, but I, hmm. well, you know, I, I said my targeted ads first came out maybe like 10, 15 years ago. I found them helpful. I mean, instead of seeing ads for garbage all day long, I would see a few ads for things that were actually interesting. You might actually would you, benefit the consumer if it, if it worked. See, and I find them kind of annoying because if I go shopping, I want a specific product. And if I get an ad and I get distracted, then it's wasting my time. I, I want a specific product. Yeah. And I don't want to change brands. I don't want to change size. I want exactly what I want. And maybe that's me. Well, you know, now I hardly ever see ads at all anymore. I seem to have enough ad blockers. But um, I remember about five years ago, I noticed that Amazon would constantly pop up ads trying to sell me the thing I just bought. Like I'd buy yeah, a pair of shoes yeah. and try to sell me the same shoes. And I said, this algorithm is not working. That is yeah. obviously not going to happen. And the same thing happened when I used TikTok. I tried using TikTok for a few weeks and people said, this is great. It learns what you want. And it totally did not learn what I want. It just got worse and worse until it was just like watching a bunch of boring commercials. It's not smart. I think all it is is tailored towards what young people want. Yeah. 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 I don't, it did not learn from me. So, yeah. And, yeah. Well, you're just one data point amongst billions of other people. Well, I think just like Taylor Swift, <clears throat> I'm not the target demographic. I think it's mainly optimized for a certain demographic. It's not really individualized that much to the consumer. Yeah. yeah. Like almost yeah. every AI thing, it's pretty much a wild exaggeration of what it's really doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to market the AI so you can get people to buy it. So people yeah. will buy other products by using AI marketing. Yeah. That's the right. chicken and the egg kind of story here. Well, uh, my last story <laughs> is actually AI hardware, which I was very pleased to read. I used to work with lasers, pulse lasers. In fact, I did a yeah. lot of work with them in physics. And so this guy has scientists have built a computer that works this way for AI. And it's actually pretty brilliant. If you make very short pulses of now, normally, when light goes through an optical fiber, every color of light does not interact with any other color. So you can do things like dense wavelength division multiplexing, where every color is carrying a different signal and they don't interact. But if you make high-powered, very short pulses, you get these things called solitons that are a special kind of wave, and they do spread out when they interact with other solitons. So you can send pulses of light through the fiber, and it will interact in nonlinear ways with the other pulses. So they made an AI that works this way. You encode the data in pulses of light and the weights that connect the uh, inputs are the interactions, which you can adjust. And they figured out how to train it by measuring the output and changing the light going in on the next pass. So they now have a fully photon-based AI system. And the awesome thing about this is certainly once you've trained it, it's basically a hardware analog computer. Now you can implement it and it takes very little power and is very efficient. So are, are we talking, and I'm, I'm just asking questions here, like for a transatlantic cable, for example? Well, I well, don't think so and, because those have to have, have regenerators and go to long so, distance. I think the point so, here is to exploit yeah. a short piece of fiber to do the calculation, replacing your CPU. Wait. So we're going to have a piece of fiber replace a CPU? Yes, a piece of fiber and a bunch of pulsed lasers will perform the calculation instead of going through CPU or GPU. And it's analog, not digital, which is better for AI. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. So you could make a small portable hardware device that did one pre-programmed activity very well. And and so what what you're telling me, let's just kind of go back here. If you go back to your physics, right? It's the particle that's being shot through a split, uh, through a slit. And is it a wave or is it a particle? Uh, This is all running on the waveform. It's not particularly quantum mechanical. It's no, a- no, no. I, I, I understand that, but it's the same concept that you have a pulse of light, yeah, which would be equivalent, not exactly, but to the particle, but it interacts and forms yeah. a diffraction pattern, which then you can manipulate, or or there's some intelligence with that. It's, well, it's predictable. Not a diffraction pattern, it's nonlinear interaction. So one bright pulse will yeah. make the other one decrease. And that's just like having a weight between neurons in your neural net. Isn't that interference? Yes, but normal interference is just linear interference, where two yeah. patterns add together. This is a nonlinear interference, which amounts to like multiplying by a constant, which is exactly what you want for AI. Yeah, okay, got it, got it. Oh, got so it. you yeah. have so parameters it's... to adjust. <clears throat> yeah. So it's not quantum, which it's is what quantum. we'd have with the SWIT. This is yeah. analog. Yeah. yeah, analog yeah. and essentially classical, but it's um, exploiting the nonlinear properties of light, which, by the way, is what I did. When I did my physics many years ago, we used a frequency doubler. We had an infrared light. And we ran it through yeah. a crystal that had nonlinear distortion of the light, so it would double the frequency. Really? Yep, you had infrared light turned into green light that way. Wow. And, and um, if you make a pulse of, of, of power, it can be quite efficient. Like, you can get 10% of it at the other wavelength. So the, the the energy is lost, if you will, to change yeah. the color of the light. Yes. And that's that's a property of the crystal. Right. Because the crystal has atoms that are moving in response to the electric field, and you move them so far that they hit some kind of limit. They're no longer linear. So Got it's like it. clipping a yeah. sine wave to a square wave. And, and that's wow. what's going on here. The pulses are so bright that they interact with each other and distort each other. And that is the adjustable parameter for the machine learning model. So Sam, in um, in lasers for laser optic communications, I believe they use erytrium. Yeah, yttrium. Yeah, yeah. Yttrium or yttrium. Arsenic, ga- ga- gallium or something. Gala, yeah. You use and, rare earth dopes in glass is what you typically use for lasers. Yeah, for, for for glass lasers, but everything now is solid state lasers. Yeah, time. yeah. But but that was that's the reason is <clears throat> yttrium has that property or, or that combination that compound if you will. Well, not the nonlinear. The lasers are linear. the The special property yep. of the yttrium is that it has a metastable state where you can pump it up and it will have a long lifetime with the energy stored in it like a battery. So when a but, photon but, comes through, there's yeah. energy to be dumped. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, wow, that's interesting. I know. So I, I do know, yeah. yeah, I do know that, um, and I'm wondering if this is the same thing that, that uh, movie, uh, what, uh, what do I want to say? Cameras used in, in, um, in the film industry, very high-end cameras, that the lenses would be, have some thorium doped into the glass. Oh. And I'm thinking it must be the same thing. So it makes those lenses radioactive. So if you go up to those cameras with a Geiger counter, you can definitely tell that they are radioactive, but they're not at a level that's that's damaging to people. It's a low level, but just slightly elevated. 
Well, the thorium is there probably to compensate for chromatic aberration or something. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So but not quite the same, but no. sort of akin to what we're talking about here. Yeah, and you know, when I was a kid, science fiction had these computers that were just pieces of glass with light going through it. And I always wondered, <laughs> that has always been the idea that that would be the best thing. And I think we're getting wow. there, you know? And so with this, I, I'm thinking the speed would increase the performance. Well, well uh, yes, I think in terms of power, it would generate much less heat and it would take much less power. So the total yeah. amount of computation per unit of power would go down. That's why they were pushing it as like an environmental thing, which I think it is. But um, yeah, everything's moving at the speed of light too. I guess you'd be hitting a theoretical maximum speed. Yeah, but in terms of CPU cycles, the the amount of, the calculations per unit of time with light, I think would would um, increase I over. Think, yeah, yeah, I, I we think, don't know. Well, it depends on the details, but the pulses have to be very short. They're femtosecond pulses, so. Yeah. The individual pulses are extremely fast. The question is, how quickly can you generate them? And that'll be yeah. up to the silicon generating them. Still, I think it's uh, it's very promising. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, this is exciting times. <laughs> yeah, and it sort of suggests you could have like the Star Trek tricorder, this little device that is extremely powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And Or you could have the latest... Um, iPod, and it's analog instead of digital. Well, you know, I'm glad to see analog <laughs> computing come back. There's a bunch of things that are more logically done analog, and uh, AI is one of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You can fine-tune. You can get between the bits, if you will. We do it analog. Yeah. Our brains are analog devices. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for me. That's it for me too. So That's it, huh? So one of these on Tuesday. Yep, Tuesday, March fifth, huh? Uh, I guess so. And we're into March. Yep. All right.